Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good Wednesday morning slash afternoon slash evening, wherever you are in the world. This is Doug Farrar of Touchdown Wire and the USA Today Sports Media Group. And the guy over there in the orange sweatshirt is the great Greg Cosell of NFL Films and ESPN's NFL Matchup. And Greg, uh, speaking of matchups, we don't have as many this week. We have six teams on bye uh, for weeks, uh, for weeks, Bengals, Cowboys, Titans, Jets, Panthers, and Texans. Before we get into this week's games and the concepts we always discuss, I think we have to talk about the Jets' defense against the Eagles ah. because I'm going to say a sentence that I don't usually say it a lot. The Eagles' offensive line got handled. What happened? And that is a true statement, and Ooh. you rarely ever see that. <clears throat> and you know what? It wasn't just Lane Johnson going out on, on the first possession with an ankle injury. And obviously, Jack Driscoll came in and he struggled both in the run game and particularly in pass protection against Jermaine Johnson, against Byron Huff. He certainly had his issues in one-on-one pass protection, no question. But it was not just Driscoll. It was pretty much across the offensive line. The only player I can really recall that didn't really struggle was Kelsey in the middle. But other than that, I think each of the offensive linemen had particular individual struggles. And um, they were certainly handled by a Jet defense that – uh, and I remember talking to people last week because, you know, obviously I do other things, as you know, Doug, and I'm sure the audience knows, saying that, hey, that's I didn't I didn't come out and say that, hey, they were going to dominate because the Eagles offensive line has been so, so good. But I said that's an area to watch in this game because that jet defensive front uh, and I include the linebackers in that you could argue that uh, Quincy Williams and C.J. Mosley are as fast and as quick a a nickel duo as any in the league. So that entire front seven is really tough to handle. But um, And Wilson is – or Williams is their blitz multiplier, by the way. He's usually the one coming when they – Yes, yes. They don't blitz a ton, but they're very good when they do blitz. And Quincy Williams is is very often the blitzer. Um, But, uh, you know, the player that I think – and I really liked him coming out of Florida State, by the way, was Jermaine Johnson. He is playing – Really, really good football. He is a powerful man. You see the speed to power pass rush. He moves people. He moved my Alada. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously he moved Driscoll. Um, As did Bryce Huff, my new favorite player, by the way. Well, Bryce Huff for the last two, three years, I'm sure he's not overlooked by teams preparing to play the Jets. Maybe he's overlooked by media and fans, but he has been as good a sub front edge pass rusher as there's been in the league because he plays essentially in their sub fronts. He's not an every down player. Um, But I remember Johnson coming out two years ago, and I thought, and people may remember me saying this, it's not something I'm just saying now so people understand that, but I thought he was a better edge prospect than Kayvon Thibodeau, and -hmm. Thibodeau obviously went much higher in the draft. I wanted to get into the Quinn Quinn Williams interception because that was a Ah. – Jermaine yeah. Johnson. Jets had a seven-man pressure look. Johnson dropped into coverage from over the left tackle, crossed over to force the incompletion of Dallas Goddard. Quinn Williams picked it up. 
Pressure force and interception. Jets had a four-man overload to Goddard's side with Bryce Hoff, C.J. Mosley, Quincy Williams, and Jordan Whitehead. And they were just dialing. And then uh, uh, per ESPN stats and info, the Jets pressured Jalen Hurts 20 times. 17 came with four-man rushes. So they weren't blitzing a lot, but when they did, man, well, hard to door because it was just evil. That was third and eight. Now, they were committed to pressure on third down yes. um, out of nickel. So um, that was really a, a great concept as you just – suggested um they were in a loaded front to the field which means they had three defensive linemen to the one side of the center to the field to the wide side of the field they had a pressure concept with both um both linebackers williams and mosley and the safety whitehead coming from the boundary side they 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 each came through a gap the a b and c gaps um the eagles had a tight end screen called hurts hit goddard no problem but Johnson from the loaded front side, the, the, the <laughs> wide side of the field, away from the screen, he dropped out and he just he just flew across the, the formation and he hit Goddard right as he caught it, resulting in the ball popping in the air where the D tackle Williams could make the pick. But really, really cool pressure concept. And you saw the the speed and athleticism of Jermaine Johnson, who's probably 265 pounds. The other thing I want to talk about, Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed were both out for this game. So Bryce Hall, Michael Carter, and Craig James all had to step up, and they did. Hall allowed four catches on eight targets for uh, 69 yards, but one was that amazing Jalen Hurts throw to A.J. Brown where Hurts had Michael Carter all That might have been the throw of the year. I don't know how he even got that ball off. You're talking about on the first possession where Carter was all over him? That was ridiculous. Uh, yeah, and the, um, other play, the other play was the 49-yard to A.J. Brown where Brown just did what he did and wove through like two different defenders for 36 yards after the catch. But those backup corners handled things really well. And if they get into the postseason, I don't know what their quarterback situation will be, but, you boy, Robert Sala has to feel really good about how his backup cornerbacks played. Yeah, and the one, the one thing they did, the adjustment they made due to the fact that they were lacking at the corner position is they chose to play – which is very prevalent in the league now, big nickel on a lot of snaps where they played Ashton Davis as the third safety, even against 11 personnel. So it wasn't just a case where they did that against two tight ends. They played it against 11 personnel, uh, and they just felt obviously that doing that at times was better than having three corners out there. But they played meaningful snaps of big nickel with three safeties. And even when the Eagles are in 11 personnel, we discussed this before, and it was really prevalent last year. They'll run power concepts out of 11. They don't, they'll run anything out of anything. So just and because it's 11, it's not necessarily just, you know, four verts. No, and it's obviously by who the Eagles just signed that they don't feel really comfortable. They didn't feel really comfortable with their 11 personnel package. So they obviously yeah. signed Julio Jones and. None of us know what that means. It did become. We're not going to get into that because it's no. pure speculation, and I don't do that. Uh, but the point is, they're telling you that they did not feel comfortable with their eleven personnel package. So the Eagles lose to the Jets, and now they have to deal with the Dolphins. Um, and and not that I don't think this was a referendum on the Eagles' offensive line. I think you just ran into the proverbial buzzsaw, and it happens. It just the happens. Dolphins yeah. do have some sneaky good pass rushers. And I wanted to mention deep safety Javon Holland, who I loved coming out of Oregon. He's been Good playing player. well. So that, I mean, that defense is kind of middle of the pack. I think they're still putting things together. Um, obviously, you know, when they have their pass rushers healthy, it helps. But 
Um, I wanted to mention the Dolphins are motioning at an 80% clip by far the most in the league. They're going to throw any and every kind of motion at you. The Eagles passed – and it, it, these numbers were interesting because I thought they handled the Rams motions in uh, a couple weeks ago really well as far as passing it off instead of just selling out. But they've allowed uh, 72 completions and 105 motions for 673 yards, six touchdowns, one interception, and an opponent passer rating of 101 against motion in the pass. Now, motion runs, which the Dolphins – might even be better at than their motion passes. This is the good news. The Eagles have allowed a league low 2.7 yards per carry against motion <clears throat> runs. So you're Sean Desai. You have to deal with the ice cream factory. How do you sort of get your guys in structure? Uh, I don't think my investment <laughs> portfolio is quite big enough to answer that question, but <clears throat> let's talk about the Dolphins offense. Well, yeah. well, let's put this in a larger context. Yes. Yeah. I think if you reduce the Dolphins offense to simple terms, and I'm being simple here, but I think you could say that they attack the perimeter in the run game and between the numbers in the pass game. I think if if you're putting it in kind of a simple box, now, Mm -hmm. obviously, you know, that's too simple overall, but I think that makes some kind of sense. I think No, it does, and I would say the 49ers do that too. I would agree, but Mike McDaniel came from the Niners. Right, there you go. Right, so – so to me, when you play the Dolphins pass game in particular, I don't believe it starts with pass rush. I believe it starts with coverage, which coverage. may be the inverse of the way we've all believed that that defending the pass starts for years and years and years because there's such a timing rhythmic feel to their pass game that the ball comes out and, and you're not going to get there. If I'm not mistaken – uh, you may have the numbers in front of you. I believe two has been sacked six times in six games, something like that. And, uh, he's, he's, rarely... not been, and he's not been pressured a lot because, again, the ball that, that's not right. like a top five offense. They, you know, Robert Hunt's a good player. Uh, when Armstead's healthy, he's great, but it, that's not the point. The no, point but the, the the point is the, the conceptual underpinnings of their pass game. So he's not been sacked much. He's not been hit much. So, again – Obviously, if you can get them into third and nine, third and 11, that changes. But if you're just talking generally about how you go about defending their pass game, you're to me, it's not about pass rush. It starts with coverage. You have to find a way to take away those first window throws. And their motion is different than the Rams. Um, and, and again, the Rams, I think, do it's funny. I, I watched the Rams offense this week against the Cards, and they ran the ball exceptionally well. And I think they had motion on every single run. They, they, well, they have the <clears> second <throat> most motion snaps in the NFL behind the Dolphins, and they do. Right. But that the point I'm making is that when you play the, um, the Dolphins, they give you a ton of eye candy with the motion, okay? So what does that mean for a defense? You have to kind of walk through this, Doug. And I think this is a good thing that we're discussing it. So – very often in dealing with motion, that forces a defense to shrink its menu because you can't get caught up in all these adjustments. You can't have three or four guys that have to adjust to motion. All of a sudden, the ball snapped, and Tyree Kill or Wada with free access off the ball is screaming at your safeties. You Mm. can't get caught like that. So, So very often, you have to kind of shrink your menu and play what you think coverage-wise, is the best way to play against how you've studied their offense, okay? You just can't get to all your calls. So, 
then what do you have to try to do? And by the way, what I'm saying is, is hard, but this is, I think, what you have to try to do. You have to find a way to disrupt the timing between Tua and the receivers because mm-hmm. you're not going to get there with pressure. So how do you disrupt it with Tua and the receivers? And like I said, I don't have the answers. That's why I'm sitting here and not coaching in the NFL. But right. but that's kind of how you have to do it. You know, like I said, if it gets to be third and long and you're fortunate enough, then maybe your pass rush becomes a factor. But it, but what you're hoping happens is you can disrupt that timing, take mm-hmm. away the first window, and then get there with four. Then have four be a factor because you've got to play split safety against this, this offense. You yes. just cannot leave Hill one-on-one on the outside. And by the way, the Eagles have injuries in the secondary. Uh, and even if Slay is back this week, the tape tells you that Slay has not played great this year. Bradbury is not the kind of corner that can match up to that kind of speed. So the Eagles can't really play a lot of single high. They're going to have to play a lot of split safety. And the Dolphins will know that going into the game. I think, well, we go back to, we discussed this in the rematch, Dolphins-Chargers, what the Chargers did to the Dolphins last season was they just, they they did what you don't do. They pressed up on everybody and it worked. So I don't know if the Eagles can do that without, you know, yeah, it's it worked. In, it worked in that game, and it then of course game. they played him again this year, and it didn't quite happen quite yeah. the same way as we know. Um, and again, you never know. I mean, the games. And also, this offense is much more evolved than it was last season. I would so agree with that. I would agree yeah. with that. And as we started out this conversation with you, got to be a little aware of the run game too. I mean, this mm-hmm. is—they're not just hey, let's throw it on every play. That's no. not what they do. I would argue, I don't know if it's more effective, but I would argue that the Dolphins' run game is more fun to watch than their pass game because, again, it's just everything they throw at you. It's, it's, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, And Mike McDaniel was Kyle Shanahan's run game coordinator for four years. We know this. So, yeah. You know, there you so go. they're just – they're a difficult offense conceptually to play against, and then you add in the speed. I mean, that's the thing. It's this Then the speed element becomes a huge factor. And keep in mind – then you can just line up Hill on the outside without any motion, and he can run by you, as he did this past week. I forget who, what corner he beat, but he just lined up, you know, split outside the numbers and ran a go, a go route, and he just yeah. won. I mean, he can do that. He can do that. You know, I'm not saying – I'm not one of those people who, who use the term at will because things don't happen like that in the NFL. Nobody does anything at will, but he can do that at times, and you have to be aware that he can just line up and run by your corner. He's got the Randy Johnson slider. It's the unhittable pitch. And you just, okay, uh, I guess that's where we are. So uh, Browns, Colts, I wanted to give you a couple numbers. Um, two, five, eight, seven. Yeah, those are some good numbers. Some yeah. good numbers. So Brock Purdy came into this uh, Browns game with an EPA of 51.96, by far the best in the league. Against the Browns, Purdy's EPA was minus eight. Uh, I don't know what game, that means, but that's okay. Uh, it's uh, estimated points per attempt, so it's like how much value you have. So uh, McCaffrey's average yard before contact coming into this game was 1.8, so yards before contact. His average yards per contact, uh, or it was before contact against the Browns, was zero minus 0.18 yards per carry. In other words, he was per attempt starting in his own backfield before it, it, getting contact. So. And this was a boomer bust game for the Browns defense. And McCaffrey went out, Debo went out, Trent Williams was affected by injury. And I watched the tape of the Browns defense and I wrote an article about it. And you said something that I kind of agree with. You said yesterday when we talked on the phone that the Browns defense really didn't do anything special. No, and I thought in the first half, the Niners marched up and down the field. Um, 
you know, the second half, the Niners got way behind the sticks for various reasons. And, you know, no one can play like that. And Purdy can't um, no. because he, he's not a big arm. He's not going to drop back and stick a, you know, a 22-yard dig ball like Matthew Stafford can. So if you're third and 17, Purdy can't play. Most quarterbacks can't, but Purdy can't. But in the first half, they marched up and down the field. And, in fact, I thought in the first half, Purdy made one of the best throws he's probably made in his career that IU dropped. Uh, and yeah. if that, you know, and and if that ball had been caught, who knows? That was a beautiful throw with pressure right in his face. I believe it might have been Preston, uh, uh, excuse me, Zedarius Smith, who was right in his face on a stunt. Um, and you know, they, they didn't really have problems moving the ball in the first half in that game, um, which was you know really interesting because obviously the narrative, just looking at the score and Purdy's numbers, is that the Browns just demolished them. You know, I don't think the tape told you that. No. I'm not saying the Browns' defense didn't play well. Yes, they did play well. But I think that that they didn't just dominate them the way a lot of people think. And Purdy missed some throws, yes. you know, that he normally makes. And we don't know the reason for that. People can have all kinds of speculative ideas. But there were throws there in the second half that he just missed. Um, yeah. And, you know. Well, you know, hey, Joe Burrow missed seven, eight throws this week. No one's saying is Joe Burrow a fraud. You know, you have to be careful about the things that you say in response to, you know, certain things. I mean, and again, I'm being sarcastic a little bit, but I think you, I think you have to watch the tape before you make these bold, controversial, you know, definitive statements that right. the tape does not reflect. Well, you said nothing special. <laughs> In, in the tape piece I did, I concluded that they did what they do. We, they did what we, they do. We have discussed at length multiple times the, the former defensive coordinator, Rod Rust, who you watched a lot of tape with. He right. A lot, uh, great defensive mind. And he was kind of recognized as the inventor of quarters coverage or the guy who forwarded, you know, he, he was the evangelist. And right. what he can tell you is that it really allows you to keep your passing strength even against motion. I watched all the court. I watched all of Niner, the the Niners motion plays. The it was cover one, cover three, little cover two, no quarters against. No, the, so they did what they did. They do what they do. They the okay, Browns. Through, the Browns, Doug, through six weeks have the played the highest percentage of middle of the field coverages, meaning single high safety in yep. the NFL. They play almost eighty percent of their coverage versus drop back pass. With, a, with the middle of the field closed, with a post safety. That's who they are. That's what they do because yep. Delpit is a big-time player in the box. Now, granted, they played, a, you know, obviously a lot of dime, and they played three safeties. Um, they showed some, as you know, because you went through the tape, they showed some split safety looks, and yes. then they moved from it when the ball was snapped. But when the ball was snapped, they were not playing a lot of split safety. They did what they did, yep. what they do. They do it really well. Um and they're they're physical, they're aggressive, they're tough. But you know, you as you know, a lot of people said, oh, you know, because they play a lot of man coverage, as you know, mm -hmm. as well. I think they may have played the the second highest percentage of man. And Shanahan you know, came into this game saying, we know exactly what they're going to do. They're going to play right. Aggressive. And mm -hmm. and and that's what they do. And you know, people are saying, well, that's the way you play the 49ers. You know, when people say these things, I, I just almost have to smile. Do you think this is the first time anybody <laughs> has played man coverage against Brock Purdy and the 49ers? Of yes, course not. Yes, of course, Greg. Yes, right, of course not. It yeah. worked. In, and by the way, like I said, Purdy missed some throws, open throws. Receivers yeah. were open. Um, yeah, there was a deep out to Kittle that he just, I don't know what he was thinking there because he had a clean yeah. And by the way, the bottom line is this. You know, people are talking about this because of the result. 
what 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 would be the conversation do you think if Jake Moody made that kick? What would what would we be discussing if Jake Moody made that kick? We'd probably uh, be saying 49ers went to a, a really tough place to play, didn't play real well, played against a great defense, but they were a championship caliber team and they came out with a hard fought gritty victory. That's right. what people would be saying. The right. fact that Moody missed the kick changes nothing about the way the game was played. It changes nothing about Purdy. It changes nothing about the Browns' defense. You know, so you have to be realistic, and you've got to see the tape to understand it. Yeah, and this is not to denigrate the Browns' defense at all. They're still number one. They're really good. They're, They're really good. Historic clip. I think Delpit's a really, really good player. Um, yeah. You know, I think that obviously we know about Miles Garrett, who, by the way, was not a big factor in this game. Yeah, he got Trent Williams a few times, but – No, there were a couple of plays where, where yeah. he didn't make the play where, you know, he kind of ate up Trent Williams, but you you would expect that. There are two great players going head-to-head, but he didn't wreck the game for the 49ers. Not per se, no. So, no. It, And this is kind of like the Eagles offensive line against the Jets. I don't think this is a, a – it's not a blueprint. I mean, I, I – No, there's no such – there's okay, no such what, thing. What's Doug? the blueprint? Okay, make sure against the Fort, make sure that Debo's out, McCaffrey's out, Trent Williams is hurt, and your defense is playing at a like historic fifty-year level. There's your blueprint. Okay, go for it. Yeah, I mean, sure. <clears throat> look, you and I both know that there are certain, uh, let's say, certain quarterbacks that maybe they play better against zone or better against man, and they might have a little more trouble against one or the other. But that doesn't mean it's a blueprint because no. if it was. Wouldn't every team do exactly the same thing and that particular player would be bad? It doesn't work like that. You would think so. Well, as we're going to get into when we get to uh, Niners-Vikings, uh, Purdy this year has been outstanding against the Blitz. But and he's going to get blitzed. He's going to oh get boy. blitzed. Yes, we will get into that. But Lions-Ravens real quick. And I, You talked about this a little bit last week, Aaron Glenn's evolution. and ah. Heavy man coverage team, a lot of Blitzes last year. They got scalded. This season, no team plays more zone against the pass than the Lions. They've allowed one touchdown to four interceptions on a league high 158 dropbacks. So I want I will give you the floor on Aaron because it reminded me of how Dan Quinn with the Cowboys defense a couple of years ago all of a sudden went from <coughs> the, the Legion of Boom cover three to everything's man. And it was like, yeah, oh, I, oh. I just, you know, again, you know, these guys are smarter than I am, Doug. They're coaches. Okay. They, they you know, but. So he doesn't need – Aaron Glenn doesn't need me to say that, hey, I respect him and love what he does. But I love what he's done. I mean, he, he became – you know, he spent a lot of time in, in New Orleans with, you know, Dennis Allen, who's one of the best in the league. Dennis Allen is one of those coaches that whenever I ask offensive coordinators who's one of the toughest defensive guys to play against, Dennis Allen is one of the first names that come up. So Aaron Glenn did that. Um you know, he also was in Cleveland, I think, early in his career with Mike Pettin, who's a very respected defensive mind in the league. So he's seen a lot of different defenses. He's been around a lot of smart defensive coaches. I actually had a chance to talk with him years ago when he was first starting out. Um, not that he needed, you know, my advice. But but the point is, I just love to see evolution when coaches, you know, sort of learn. And, yes. and because to me, as someone who, you know, watches tape every single day of my life, basically, I, I view this as an academic and intellectual exercise. Every time I see a play, I feel like I, I, there's something I should be learning. There's something I don't know that I should be learning. Um, and I feel like if a coach was sitting with me, he'd point out five things that I'm not seeing. And I go, oh, my God, how did I miss that? You know, so my point is, is that I think Aaron Glenn did such a great job of coming in with an idea of how he wanted to play. It didn't quite work out the way he hoped. 
And instead of forcing it and forcing it and forcing it, he kind of said, let me do some self-scouting. Let me do some self-reflection. Let me think about all this. Let me try to map it out and see what's best. And he's come in with, I don't want to say a 1,000% different approach. You know, they, they will play man and blitz on occasion, obviously. every Everybody does. But it's a different-looking defense. It's and, swung as, about as far as you can swing. Correct. And, you know, he's they drafted Jack Campbell, who I loved coming out of Iowa. Absolutely loved him. He's um, your guy. And, uh, and now he's using him in multiple ways, on the ball, off the ball, pass coverage, blitzer, run defender. They're starting to move Hutchinson around even more than they did a year ago when he right. did line up at D-tackle in their sub-fronts at times. Now they're standing him up as a joker, moving him around. They've got Derek Barnes, who, if people don't know, in his next to last year at Purdue was an edge pass rusher and then got moved to a stacked linebacker in his last year in college. So he has pass rush in his background as well. So he can do a lot of different things. Um, they've got veterans, uh, a veteran safety in Walker who's seen an awful lot. Um, I just, and I, by the way, I think the Jacobs kid at corner is, is actually a pretty good player. Um, so, you know, just the way he's now moving the, the pieces around playing a lot more zone. The defense has a, an aggressive feel, but a stable feel. Yes. Whereas in the past, it didn't have a stable feel. Intelligent aggression. Like Kirby Joseph, I mean, the more I watched him, I was doing my safety list. The year he came out, I kept bumping him up from like 11 <laughs> to 7 to 4 to 5. Like, this is the, the best covered safety in this class. Yeah, so, I mean, it's just – I just really feel like – that this defense is is taking shape, you know they, you know don't forget they've got a lot of size and length too. Hutchinson six five, Campbell six five. I mean, you know they've got big players. Um, I, Ali McNeil inside. This Love week him. I'm watching tape and I'm saying to myself, who's Benito Jones? I didn't do him coming out of college. This, you <laughs> yeah. know this guy is playing nose in their base and he yep. is moving people. Yeah, well, I mean, that's we talked about with the Jets. When you have a really good unit, all of a sudden these guys you've never heard of are popping out. And we have yeah. not talked about the Ravens' defense much this season, but they're second in defensive DVOA behind only the Browns. A lot of, again, underrated guys having great seasons. Geno Stone, the safety, had a really nice pick against Another the Iowa kid, by the way. Yeah, he was a deep third defender in cover three, and his Marlon Humphrey had tight end Chig uh, Aconquo. Vertically, Stone worked over to jump the deep ball. Jadavian Clowney is getting some pressures for his 53rd team in the last six years. Uh, Justin Matabuke beat Matabuke. He's a good player, by the way. I really, he's been on my radar for a while. He's blowing stuff up inside. He leads a team with five sacks, and he's everywhere from here. Yeah, he's a good player. Outside the tackles. Kyle Hamilton. Uh, I really like the way they're using Hamilton. Hamilton yeah. is kind of a combination safety slot, and yes. he's a really good blitzer as well, has great timing with the blitz. Um, I, I, you know, I think they have a really good field of how to deploy their players, um, yes. which is, you know, half the battle. You want to figure out what they do, what they do well, what you don't want them to do. Um, and I think Mike McDonald, who, who I think has done a really nice job yes. since he's came back from the university of Michigan after the one year, um, uh, you know, and I think, I think they really have a good feel for that. Uh, but you know, uh, they're, they're a really good defense and, you know, yeah. obviously they've got speed at linebacker, uh, you know, it's funny, speed at linebacker, even though a lot of teams don't seem to think linebacker is the most important position, when you have speed there, I, just from tape study, and again, coaches, maybe there'll be some coaches who would disagree with me, but I think when you have speed and range at linebacker, it really adds a lot to your defense. Against today's passing game, certainly. And this, again, this is Lions-Ravens. Just schematically, this might be the most interesting game of the week. Uh, Lamar. Yeah. My notes, uh, making some explosive throws and tight windows and structure. It's clear to me that he trusts uh, 
Todd Monken's passing concepts and Zay Flowers, I will use one of your terms, is a separation generator right. of him. So this is this is just a really interesting game. Yeah, and it's funny you say that because when I watch the Ravens pass game, I feel like it's still a work in progress, Doug. I feel like it's going through the growing pains of a new offense. Mm-hmm. It has an up and down week to week feel to it. I think Lamar looks very comfortable but I think it hasn't yet expanded into what it can be. And I think they'll continue to work toward that. But I, but overall, I think Lamar has played very well within the context of a brand new offense. Like I said, he seems comfortable, um, you know, and I think he's playing at a pretty, pretty high level, even if the numbers don't reflect that, you know, and again, this is where you have to watch the tape. Um, but uh but if I just can for a moment comment on the Lions offense, I know we've done that yes, before. Sure. I actually watched them this morning, believe it or not, so they're fresh in my mind. But I watch them every week, as mm-hmm. you probably do, because they're a fun watch. Yeah, um, the run game especially, I just love. Yeah, I, and again, I love the pass game because maybe yeah. I'm more of a pass guy. But you're right, the run game is really cool too. Um, I, I just feel like, and this is not an X and O statement, but Jared Goff is just the definition to me of a professional quarterback. Yeah. The guy, he sees it. He knows where to go. He's comfortable. He's calm. He's advanced in his career to the point where he can play late in the down from the pocket without That's getting hurried thing. or rushed. Yeah. Um, you know, he just sees it really well. Their concepts are great. I mean, they their spacing on their route concepts may be as good as anybody in the league. So it really defines things for him beautifully. But, again, that's all part of the gig. You know, you still have to execute, you know. Um well, you know, I think what people don't understand, yes, you want the coach and you want the, the schemes to really work well, but they still have to be executed. And yeah. it's not so easy. You know, I work with um, two quarterbacks on the matchup show, two former quarterbacks. And, and you know, they always remind me, which I know, of course, but we have these conversations daily that, you know, quarterback doesn't have a lot of time. So, you know, if, if all of a sudden he comes out and he sees – single high middle of the field close and he takes the snap and all of a sudden people move you know that's not so easy maybe it looks easy then when he completes a ball but that's not so easy doug and you i know. think that's happening more this season like every season of the last four or five years i think it's happening those safety switches the post snap yeah. more than it ever has yeah you, and i think you're right i think a lot of teams are, are building off the Fangio structure, not exactly playing his defense per se, but the Fangio structure of starting everything from a quarter's look because you can go anywhere from that. And and you mentioned Rod Russ, who I was very fortunate for five years to watch tape with. He's since passed away, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, he that's one of the first things he told me about quarters. He said, hey, you line up four across, you can do anything from that look. You can mm-hmm. go anywhere you want. And I think teams are understanding that, hey, present that look pre-snap and then post-snap, you can do anything and you make the quarterback have to think as he's dropping back when he knows he has two or 2.5 seconds to figure it all out. Yep. Uh, and I, I watched a lot of tape, crunched a lot of numbers. This is my biggest project of the week, Greg, and I'm ready to make an absolute empirical statement. There you go. Lamar Jackson is a lot better when his receivers catch the ball. I'm just saying. I know that's controversial. You know, I know I, people are going to flip out over that. But I, I think- you know what? I, I've been trying to figure that out. I'm glad you mentioned that because I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, anytime I can provide some insight to yeah, the yeah. Hostel, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Yeah, no, no. But uh, Lamar's played really well. I, I've been really, really pleased to watch him. I can't wait to see that offense continue to expand. Um, you know, I think that that's 
you, there'll be more to come there. Because don't forget, yeah. well, I think what a lot of people also forget, Doug, is it's not just the quarterback when you put in a new offense. You know, everybody just puts it on the quarterback. Oh, it's the quarterback. You know, it's it's the O-line probably has different protection schemes relative to what they had before under Greg Roman. The receivers have different route responsibilities and adjustments. It's it's yep. everybody. It's not just Lamar Jackson. I think Lamar's handled it beautifully. I think he's he's playing really comfortably, but it's it's everybody else as well. It's not just him. Right. Um, I was going to get into Chargers Chiefs, but running out of time, and I didn't. To, uh, I wanted to get to Niners at Vikings. I mean, I, yeah, sure. the Mahomes deep ball stuff, I'll give it another week. And the Chiefs defense, I want to talk more about that, but I'll get into that next I week. I love their defense. I think Spags does a great Real job. quick. Yeah, Spags is awesome. Uh, the young cornerbacks. Safety Mike Edwards is playing really well. Nick Bolton is one of the NFL's most underrated linebackers. And Chris Jones, oh, my God. You know, if I could just say one Ooh. thing, Mike Edwards, I remember watching Mike Edwards coming out of – I'm almost sure it was the University of Kentucky. I think um, so. And I remember doing his tape, and I thought he'd be a really good pro. And he's been with a bunch of teams, and it's not worked out to the point where he's, you know, became a solid player in one place. Um, and now he's found a home as the dime player with the yep. Chiefs. And I think he's playing really well. And I always liked the way he played. Now, again, that doesn't make me right or wrong. Obviously, he's not a star in the league. But I always thought that he had the traits to be a quality safety in this league. I don't know why it hasn't happened. But it seems as if he's found a home. We know Spags plays a ton of dime, so he's yep. going to get meaningful snaps. Uh, I remember mentioning him a couple times when he was at the Buccaneers making good plays, but it's it's certainly kicked in. And they it's a it's a heavy zone team. They handoffs. It's like the Browns are almost like a find and replace. I call them the control F defense because they'll like take a guy out and find and replace. With the Chiefs, they're so good at handing their assignments off, which in a heavy zone yeah. defense have to have and that's just the way spags does it even in blitzes and weird coverages they, they do that well so uh niners at vikings the vikings are blitzing by far the 57.9 percent of their defensive snaps have a blitz the patriots are second at 43.4 uh but the vikings pressure rate of 23.6 percent is middle of the pack brock purdy against five or more pass rushers this season and i know we get into the five-man fronts but it's the best i can do uh 50 35 of 57 for 426 yards, 205 air yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions, and a pass rating of 113.6. And I went back and watched Purdy against the Blitz this morning, and he has a great – he will stand in the pocket and take it, and he will make some really good deep throws out of Blitz. So this isn't, oh, he's just going to check down to the flare or whatever. That's not what – No, and doing. I think he recognizes it well. If yes. you recall – the game he came in when Garoppolo got hurt last year was the Miami Dolphins, and they just started blitzing him because that was yep. a different Dolphins D coordinator than Vic Fangio. And, um, uh, and they blitzed Boyer, a lot. It was basically a Brian Flores defense. Right, and they blitzed a lot. And yeah. he handled it with no problem. Now, again, we don't know what's going to happen Monday night in, in, in Minnesota. He's going to get blitz. We'll see what happens. Clearly, the 49ers want to be in a position offensively, as every team does, but the Niners are certainly built this way where they are not facing a lot of third and longs. They want to be able to run the ball, throw short passes in normal down and distance situations where you tend to get less splits. Although with Brian Flores, you never know. We saw him against the Eagles, you know, week two, I think it was, where I think he he blitzed on the first six plays of the game. You know, the down and distance didn't matter. Um, But then he did that big nickel umbrella thing. Oh, yeah, and then that's why the Eagles ran the ball, which he's not going to do against the Niners because the Niners will just run the ball. Um, So we'll we'll see what happens. But there's no question that that he will blitz, although he's an odd coordinator in the sense that 
he may not, you know, sometimes he doesn't blitz when you think he's going to blitz. No. So, I mean, you just don't know with Brian Flores. You, you just don't know what you're going to get. Um, and no. we'll see how that plays out. That's actually a very intriguing tactical unit matchup uh, in, in this uh, week seven. When I did, I did a piece on Saturday about Mahomes' deep ball, which we can get into next week. But watching what the this is watching what they did to Mahomes in Week Five with the deep throws, a lot of really interesting switches, and that had Mahomes on edge. Or even Mahomes, they switched from cover zero to cover three post snap on one deep incompletion. There was another snap which the Vikings switched their safeties from box to deep third, flipped them. And yeah, I've seen Suarez do that before. And then there was another one, the overload blitz that got through. Mahomes ran out of space on his scramble stuff. So he's doing the maximum possible schematically with, I don't want to call these guys bums, but they don't really have a tone setter. He's just putting them in positions yeah. to And succeed. by the way, this is a whole other conversation we're wrapping up. Yeah. But that's one reason why I think you're not seeing as many deep throws is because if you're a quarterback, even if you're a great one, okay, and you drop back and all of a sudden there's a lot of movement in the secondary – you know, you're not going to sit there and wait. You don't have a lot of time. So you may think, okay, I'm either going to check it down or I'm going to take my short throw in the route concept. I'm not going to sit there and see how it all develops 20 yards down the field because if I sit there and do that, there's going to be a lot of people around me. So, you know, that's a whole different conversation. We'll get into that another time. But it just struck me when you said that, you know, you're starting to see all this safety movement and disguise and late rotation. And sometimes as a quarterback, you just say, you know what? I'm going to check it down. I'm not dealing with all that. Yeah. Well, Purdy won't do that. He'll he'll throw it deep. We'll see. Well, this this is a fascinating game in that regard. It is. One more thing. uh, Against passes with pre-snap motion this season, which the Niners do all the time, uh, the Vikings have been uh, not good. Against yeah. runs with pre-snap motion, they've been outstanding. So we'll see how that goes. Well, we'll but, see how it goes. You know, six teams on by, not as many matchups, but the ones that are there. That was are, fun conversation, though, yeah, Dad. Was, This is good football. I know, right? And I'm like, oh, there's <laughs> 17 more things I want to talk about. But here we are. And you got to go narrate NFL matchup, which you yeah. well watch. And I got to go fool them again, Doug. I got to go fool them again. That's what we do, babe. Uh, all right. So, Greg, thanks as always. And we'll be talking more X's and O's next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.